Welcome to episode 376 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Team, welcome along to episode 376 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? I'm good, Bevan. And you? Oh, I'm great, mate. I'm still in America. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually won enough money to buy America's Cup boat. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually just entered, a, entered in the race, late yeah. entry. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could just take over Oracle, um, buy out Larry Ellison, and uh, you've got all the to win. That's true. Yeah. So my strategy mm. is mm. to get New Zealand to win. Yeah. Yep. So actually, I've just bought a New Zealand's America's Cup team. There you go. That's what I did. Because, you know, only 50 million. I actually won a billion. I think you need more than 50 million. (laughs) No, that's what they cost, they say. Oh, is it? It's about 50 million it costs to do. 50 million bucks for a boat. It's just ridiculous. It is is ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, you, guys have, you guys probably, it's just a New Zealand thing. I don't think this like, this gets any exposure anywhere else in the world. Uh, no, I don't, it's just I, I don't imagine it's a lot. But the reason why it's so big for New Zealand is, A, we've won it once before and we're pretty good at it, um, and, but they get great sponsorship and they've got the media in their pockets like you wouldn't believe, especially we've got our, our number one network over here is, is Channel One and they've just got them in their pocket just yeah, so every big. night. Every night there is a story on the America's Cup because there's a reporter who just follows them, loves it, he gets to go out on the boat and it's just, yeah. it's just an easy story for them. And the, what's interesting is because I travel to Auckland a lot for work, so we live in Christchurch which is in the South Island and Auckland's kind of our big city in New Zealand. And uh, it was really interesting because I've been travelling for years up to Auckland. After the cup went, because I always talk to text drivers and, you know, you're busy and kind of stuff like that. And it was really, once the cup left New Zealand, it, it took a lot of money out of our country. Like mm. it really did. You think of those boats. Now this time they've only got three boats. But when we did it, there was probably about six or seven boats. Mm. And so, you know, you think they're dropping maybe not as much as 50 million a pop at that time but let's just say it was you know that's, that's a, you know into your economy that's a massive amount of money and it was just really fascinating after we lost the cup all the taxi drivers are saying oh we're really we're, the business has dropped because the cup's gone so mm. we I think for New Zealand we actually see it as a bit of an investment for the economy mm. you know? oh, in terms of the networking and stuff it's just big boys uh, yeah. big, big business club and, and that's what happened because I won a billion in Vegas yeah you they rang me club. straight away and they said come join the club and I was yeah. like hey John this, this, this is another world yeah tell you, tell you. Fantastic. Um, talk is proudly brought to you by coffeesofhawaii.com um, yep they, the, the, the rich boys club used that as well you and Albert hanging yeah, out yeah. there yeah. Hey? <laughs> yeah, Albert, Albert lives up that way <laughs> does he so towards San Francisco somewhere oh. I think Manteca I wouldn't, ne- I, yeah. I wouldn't know. I don't stalk like you do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Athlinks.com. So is your networking for endurance athletes? Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. I noticed the America Cup guys are using it. Yeah. I got them onto it. Trainingpeaks.com. Yeah. And they're putting their logs on there as well. And SLS Tri. And they it's into new gear. They're going to wear our tri suit in the last race. Nice. But yep. I'll give you a billion dollars. Yeah. And you can wear our tri suit. So there you go. And this week's show, guys, the last of our shows. And uh, next week we're back in the studios, which is a good thing. Or maybe it's not. Maybe this is the best shows ever. Mm-hmm. And I've actually haven't really pulled up show notes, John. So we're going to be doing a couple of things here. We're going to talk a little bit about some news, what's and coming up this weekend. We've got, we've got an interview with Diana Birch, who is the race director of the Hawaii Ironman. She also is the oh, race is director cool. from 70.3 in Kona, which I've also done. And just a very inspirational person in terms of you know really gets what the team is all about and in terms of motivating people keeping the race very 
it's it is about Kona, and you're getting the she's focused on getting the island experience, and uh, and she really sounds like she gets it. And when you go to Kona, and, and you know you go to the awards function, she does her speech and stuff. Um, you you feel the passion. So she's a, a smart lady, and she's the the kingpin kingpin at the Ironman, and it's um yeah she goes over some really good stuff. Just some interesting insight in there, which you'll hear really soon. So that, that's a really great interview. And then we're, we're luckily the American correspondent. Mm. Uh, Barry Siff knew we were going away. I don't even know if he knew we were going away. He just kind of offered this to us. And uh, he was coordinating a speaking event for to before the Boulder 70.3 a few weeks ago. It's probably yeah. about a month ago now, yeah. based on when the show goes out. And uh, and he recorded it for us. So it's about 45 minutes, and it's basically just uh, and kind of all the pros got up, and there's, I think there was 150 people at yeah. this event. And uh, so we're going to chuck that in, something different. You had uh, Joycey in there. You got... Um Drew Scott, Dave Scott's son, and a few of the other athletes who are doing 70.3 up there. So, uh, yeah, just listen up. And um, some of the stuff will be a little bit outdated because it will be questions around the 70.3. But, yeah, always good to get some insight. And then actually sometimes can be interesting to go back and actually look at the race versus the results versus what actually uh, the pros were saying before the race. Didn't see Joyce's name in there in the results, so I'm not quite sure what happened to her, whether she was planning on racing or not. Okay. Well, hmm. yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. She would have won. It's Joycey. Uh, the Joyce and With somebody else pretty strong there as well. Okay. Mm. Well, I'll, I'll but I would have put my money on her. Yeah. I can't wait to see how she goes in Kona this year. Because mm. Joyce is a really fascinating thing this year because last year she was sharp and ready to go mm. and unfortunately got sick. And it was hard, man. Like mm. You could tell she was pretty emotional when we saw her across the finish line and stuff. And so... Um, you know, like imagine how hungry she'll be for it this year. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that desire, which, you know, I don't think she was lacking beforehand, but, you know, there's another level that goes on top of that. So. She's had a few injuries and sickness and stuff this year because, you know, she was supposed to do rote. So sometimes that can be a bit yeah, of a disguise, eh? you yeah. know, like, I'd agree. You know, when you get to this top level, you can. It was interesting talking to, on if you haven't listened to Legends, we talked to Jackie, Jackie Gallagher. And she was talking about how before the Olympics, really, she. Th- yeah, it is interesting to talk to. What's interesting about the Legends show is when you listen to the pros, you know, like they all thought they were going to win it. Mm. You know, and after the fact, it's easy to say that you know, like Welshy, you know, he looked at the race and well, I'm going to win this thing, you know, and, yeah. and couldn't go. And and I think that's what it takes to be a champion, anyway. So, but it did seem that the course worked for Jackie and stuff like that. But she almost became self-destructive in how she trained towards it, mm. and she was saying how she just. She went too far. She went over the edge of, and she overtrained herself to a point that it was hugely detrimental to her, her chances of even getting into the Olympics. Mm. And uh, and sometimes us athletes, you know, you know, age group is one of the most common mistakes you see is just thinking more is better. Yeah, you know, and it's you can kind of see why age group is you know fall into that catchment, but for pros it's even more because it's their life, mm. Mm. you know, and so and their friends are going to be they're just surrounded by it. And yeah. to, to break it down, it's really important to have some some interests outside of triathlon. But it's, it's um, yeah, and so and it. so you know, like sometimes getting a little bit sick or getting that odd injury here or there in a season, early on enough so you can still get some quality training in, can sometimes be a blessing in disguise for these guys at this high level. So mm. I hope Joycey kicks butt. Mm. Anyway, news, John. We've got two races coming up this week, and uh, they are first of all this week coming up. We've got the Meta Man, and this is. Big money racing, and uh, and it's not being supported quite as well as I would have anticipated by the pros in terms of the the number of pros racing. Um, it's always going to be a challenge at this time of the year to get the top pros because they're all going to be uh, getting ready for Kona. But they've done a pretty good job, and some of the names they've got here, they've got over a hundred and fifty thousand dollars prize money. Wow, that is big Kona! Now is that the second biggest outside of Kona? 
I think it is. I'm pretty sure it is. But that's that's proper money. You know, forty thousand dollars for the win, sixteen for second, eight for third, four for fourth, two for fifth, and one for for sixth. So big drop offs there. So I guess you know when you're thinking big money races these days, Carolyn Stephens racing. I know, I know. You've got this. You've got um, Abu Dhabi. Uh, you've got Embraer Man. Also had the one in, in Koh Samui, and then I guess then you drop down to your regional championships. I think that's probably around about the order it goes, and maybe rotes thrown in there as well. It is interesting, John. This the money has attracted people because I don't think if no like Gina Crawford, Caroline oh, yeah. Stephan wouldn't be doing this race. Yeah, I don't believe close to Kona. Yep, if there wasn't huge money on the line, totally. You know, it, like, and, I, and it's massive money. You're going to win. You're going to take home forty grand. Yeah, that's a lot of money. For, I mean, in other sports, you're still going. It's chicken feed, but for yeah. the triathlon, you know, what, what's your what's your two, two, two thousand point race? How much you win for that? Oh, maybe ten. I mean, even I think even at the regional championships, I think it's only twenty, if that. I don't even think it's that, but yeah, this is this is proper stuff. So I, I think part of this also is the team TBB. You've got David Dallow and uh, Caroline Stephan, both probably that that will both are the number one seeds, and and rightly so. But uh, yeah, so the maybe a part of it is their sponsorship sort of thing. I guess for Caroline, if Gina wasn't there, she again she could probably just cruise, cruise through yeah. this and and uh, and a good training day. You know, whilst. It's close to Kona. It's still, you know, you're still doing some heavy training. And if you go, so there, when, when is this race? Because we're, so we're, we're, we're recording this a month ago. August so it's 31st. Okay. So you're probably, what, six to seven weeks out? So yeah, it's, it's pre- not ideal. Yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty close. But these girls, especially Caroline and Gina, they race a lot so they know how to recover. Yep. Um, I still think it'll be taking a dint out of their Kona if they race pretty hard. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's. Um, I don't think you can do two. Hardcore races back to back in no. six weeks, and, and expect quality results in both of them. Yeah. So I guess you, I mean I'm I'm not. Ju- I mean, if I was in their shoes, whether I'd do this or not, don't know. Forty grand, a lot of money, especially in Gina's. I don't think with Caroline, I think she's got the capability of winning Kona, and and she's yeah, so I, I I would yeah, Gina's, Gina's Gina top five. If she had a dream race, maybe third, something yeah, like yep, that. Yep. I don't think she's got the capacity um, to At win the stage. race. Uh, so certainly see why she's going there and she's got to support the family and what have you. But Caroline, you kind of go, are you taking a risk here? Mm. You, you know, you've got Brett Sutton behind you, so Brett wouldn't, Brett's not stupid. And he'll have a race plan for you. Yeah, her. yeah. And he's not going to make her, you know, he's not. he wouldn't put her there unless he thought he, she could turn around for Kona. Mm. But it, it, you, let's say Caroline kicks but he makes 40 grand but then blows in Kona there's actually the opportunity lost of that is oh, yeah. massive you know like as Scott Molina says is that you know people don't understand the value of winning Kona and, you, and the opportunity it creates for a career mm. and Caroline is an amazing athlete and you know has to go down as one of the favourites of Kona mm. If she races hard here, that could be. And having Gina there may make her push a little bit harder. Like if Gina's not there, you've got Joe Lawn, you've got Candice Hammond, you've got Belinda Granger, you've got you know some really top female athletes, but not that no. that top tier anymore. Yep. You know, in their day, they were there, but they're not yep. there now. And so you know, if Gina wasn't there, Caroline could have easily just kind of popped it out. Mm. You know, kind of like a good solid training day, not killing herself. Mm. 
But with Gina there, she might just have to push that little bit of edge yeah. that she doesn't need to. Yeah. So it makes the race interesting, doesn't it? And it's a it's going to be a hell of a hot race. So it sounds like a really cool course. It's held over on Bintan Island, um, just near near Singapore. It sounds like a great place to go and race. They've got a half as well, um, but it's going to be hot. So even if you're taking it easy, it's going to be pretty arduous. I guess you could say you know, a really good training day for them to get used to the heat for, for Kona, but you know just at what cost? You also, I think, the surprise package could be Courtney Atkinson. I don't think he'll be. He won't be that much of a surprise, but in terms of, I think this is the first time he's gone iron distance. He did um, the Koko Samui race, and he's done plenty of seventy point threes and done very, very How well. Did they do the Olympics? Um, Just turned up. No, 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 no. He was. Uh, he did really well. I think, and oh, I can't remember actually. Can't remember. But he's he's a, but great, he's a good athlete. Yeah, he's, he's not just. A, he's not do you think he's going to convert to long well? I think he will do really well. I mean, we saw him a 70.3 the other day in the Philippines. You know, he biked the house down. Yeah. Um, he's a great swimmer. He's a sensational runner. So, you know, maybe this year if he uses it as gaining a bit more experience at the long stuff and then next year actually go down the WTC path, um, he's a guy that, you know, could could be potentially win Kona. John, if you go down the page, you look at Tim Burkle, who do you think that guy looks like? Our friend Ben Harper. Oh yeah, he does. <laughs> he yeah. does say. Yeah. Our friend Ben Harper from K Swiss and eventually was with who was he was with Fuel Belt last year. Yeah, Fuel Belt. Yeah. Seriously, if you put the glasses on that guy, yeah, yeah, Tim right. Burkle, you'd think that's Ben Harper. Yeah, and he's certainly a contender for the win as well. You know, he's he's had he had a great run there in Kens. I think he, he ran into second or third place. Um, yeah, second Luke Bell smoked everybody. Cam Brown, we've got the the Kiwi connection of Cam Brown and Joe Lorne, and uh, and they're certainly at the twilight of their careers and and just looking, you know. Carl Brown, Going Carl Reed from New Zealand. Never heard of him. Never heard of him either. He's got a moustache. Nice, yeah. So good little, good little field. Um, you would, yeah. You know, you, you'd you'd hope for a, for a few more. Um, Is it, uh, but it's a tricky time. Could they year. do it earlier in the year? Like I don't know that part of yeah. the world weather wise. Don't like what is it, their summer now? It's, I think it's bloody hot all the way through. I don't know if it varies that much um, during the season, but I think they would stand a, a far greater chance of getting a good field if they did it in, say, April. Yeah, um, but weather-wise, would that work there? Just don't know. I think it's pretty Oh, if they pulled off this in April, you'd have a stellar field, wouldn't you? Because you, you look at the Abu Dhabi, mm. you know, which is huge prize money again. And you get guys doing the money grab that might say, right, I'm doing Melbourne, got to do Melbourne to get my points, and then I'll go for a money grab after that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So hopefully they stick with it, you know. Um, it's it's great to see some money pumping into the sport, and uh, good on you guys at Meta Man. And I will say, you know, the, the race um, director contacts us quite a lot. They're really good at keeping, you know, they're good at PR. keeping their work. Yeah, they're, they're doing their best to do a great job. And so I imagine it will be a really great race. So um, even if you're just thinking of doing the race, maybe you want to check it out for next year's calendar. And it's good to see on the, the homepage there the guy that got either got second or third last year yeah, race, racing around in the Tanyapura uh, single it's a nice work yeah it's all good okay got um, a bunch of other races coming up this week yeah. this weekend uh, there's quite a few we've got the the Canadian 226 um, over in Ottawa Canada we've got the Sado International Triathlon the Cologne 226 Challenge Vici and the Bellman in Belgium 
Okay, and uh, that's that's pretty much the news for this week. And we're going to talk about a sponsor right now. We're going to talk about Extreme Hydro X. John, what's that? So this is a new product coming out from Extreme Endurance. Um, it contains the world's most premium blend of electrolytes, along with lactate, the body's natural fuel source. They've got a patented hydration technology called Sustamine, which mm. got a trademark. It must be good. It must be good. Uh, it's added to enhance the electrolyte and water absorption in the intestines. The small that stimulates glycogen synthesis and promote the synthesis of muscle protein to help in the repair and recovery of muscle tissues. So with so many of these uh, extreme endurance products, they do go on about the lactate. Um, and o- often we just think automatically lactic acid, bad, but lactic actually, uh, uh, you know, these guys, it's a big part of their business is actually helping you fuel yourself better and actually help suppress the buildup of lactic acid. Um, so it's got 1,500 milligrams of lactate. It's got a premium blend of electrolytes. It's got a patented hydration technology called Sustamine and helps with uh, energy cramping protection and recovery. So it's a bit of an all-rounder. You know, it's helping you on many fronts, but I think probably the area of most interest for me is probably to discuss with the guys a bit more is around the, um, the introduction again of the, the lactate into the into the system and how that can sort of help... Um, you know, uh, help your performance on race day. So check it out. It's called Extreme Hydro X. And uh, once you use it, you won't train without it. It's, it's, it's a statement that must be true, John. Yeah. So if you want to give it a try, use the promo code IMTALK5 and you get five bucks off. And uh, check it out, xendurance.com. It's called Extreme Hydro X. Okay, guys, so we've got, a, we've got an interview with Diane Bircher. Diana. Diana, sorry, Bircher. Diana Birch. Birch. Mm-hmm. How do you get Birch out there? I don't know. Yeah, B-E-R-T-S-C-H yeah, yeah. Well, I can't read so God. Um, Diana Birch and she's she's the race director of Ironman World Championships in Kona mm-hmm. and she does a blooming good job and uh, some really cool insight in this interview so we're going to chuck that on right and now. she's been doing it for over 10 years now wow here we go Right, often we um, we talk about Kona and we have the, the Queen of Kona, Paula Newby Fraser, and that mantle was taken over a bit by, uh, Chrissy. by Chrissy Wellington. But for anybody who's been over to this race um, and you go to prize giving and, and briefing and all that, somebody who really uh, runs runs the whole show, the event. Yeah, yeah, it kind of deserves a lot of credit. <laughs> the event director of Ironman is Diana Birch, and uh, we're going to talk to Diana today a bit about Ironman and all the things that go on and what it really takes to run that that whole, you know, the, the pinnacle of our sport over there. So welcome along to the show, Diana. Oh, thanks for having me. I, I guess, you know, first thing a lot of people are always intrigued to know is, is you know, how people get into this, um, into event directing and, and, and obviously this is the biggest race in the world for us Ironman athletes. So, you know, what, what was the, uh, the journey for you to get to where you are now? You know, I think um, it's one of those things, I guess, that you don't realize it, but maybe there's a little bit of fate involved. Um, was very lucky and, and tripped into it, actually. I actually was on the island in 1990 on a vacation and had the opportunity to see the race. The day I was flying out, had the opportunity to see the start. And at that point, I looked at it and I said, you know what, one day I want to do this. Um, happened to move over to the island in 1992 and started volunteering for the event. Uh, 1995 moved off the island and then actually it was Ironman had been volunteering for those three years. 1997 um, received a call from Ironman asking if I would come to work for them. So I worked for Ironman for three years in, in an assistant director capacity 
and then decided to kind of move around on the island and explore some different options, went into the resort business and really, you know, learned a lot and had the opportunity to do an opening at one of the major hotels. And then it was shortly after that, it was 2003, I received a call back from Iron Man asking if I would consider coming back into the position or into the position that I'm currently in. So it was one of those things that, you know, never in a million years thought that Hawaii would be my home. I'm very blessed and grateful that it is, but just got involved as a volunteer and had a connection with it that um, enabled me to return in the capacity that I'm in today. You obviously were very good, you know. <laughs> like you know, they obviously looked at you and thought this woman knows what she's doing because for them to ring you, uh, kind of in a way, is kind of not high praise, really, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's definitely something that you know you take a step back and you. It's scary. It was definitely scary, and then to come back in 2003 at the 25th anniversary. Uh, you know, there was, you go into it with an attitude that there's no way you're going to fail and you know what the end goal is. Had the opportunity to do the race in 1995, so you understand just the, the dream it is to be able to cross that finish line on Elite Drive. And that's something that, you know, years later, you, you never forget. You never forget those moments. You never forget what it's like to, to go through that day. So to have that perspective was something that, was incredibly valuable to me in this new position to be able to say, you know, at the end of the day, it's about being able to to work with a, a team and a community that knows that the end goal is to see others fulfill their dream and to have experienced that dream really allows you to to hold true to that. So I guess, you know, in the last number of years, WTC's seen some massive growth in terms of selling events out and, and what have you. When, when you took the um, the running of the event over, um, I think you said back in 2003, was, was pretty much all the procedures and things like that fairly well in place? And, and did you bring a lot of change to the role? You know, we brought, as a team, a tremendous amount of change to to the event here itself. Um, it went from, you know, maybe having a few special events surrounding it to, to this year outside of race day and outside of the media and television production and all the other things that come with it. We actually will put on 15 other special events outside of race day. Wow. Um, <clears throat> and some of the things were is that, that we needed to be open to how can we grow it a little bit more because of the demands to get to Kona. Um, yet still hold on to what we're true about here and to really enhance the culture of we're in Hawaii and, and that is what is so special about this event. So it, it was just like uh, taking a little bite at a, at a time and um, you know the first step was, it was gaining the trust of the people that you work with to let them know and for them to believe that your intentions were really to you know, hopefully lead to take it to a greater place, yet enhancing all the things that this incredible team had created over the years. Mm. So I guess just just back to you a little bit. I mean, so so prior to coming into, you know, you, you obviously did the volunteering and and um, and then moved into the position you're at now. So pr prior to that, you did some well, you did some work in, in the hotel industry. But in terms of event directing, or, or I guess conference managing and things like that. Did you have much experience in, in those areas? Yeah, you know, I um, 
I did. I worked for a company in Southern California and coordinating some special events. And then I actually had my own special event business for a bit of time. And so all of those things, you know, that was just one of those things that was in my blood. Mm -hmm. um, nothing of this magnitude, but did some fun runs and some smaller events that were in the sports related area. But it's something that I've been around since I had graduated from, did my undergraduate work. So it definitely was something that was, was what my direction was. Never did I think that my direction would be here and just very grateful that, that I was fortunate probably enough to be in the right place at the right time. I mean, I, I do some event directing, but it's more sort of 500 to 700 people, and and I, and I get a feeling of what it would be like to run a big event, but it's um it's a whole different <laughs> yeah yeah. So maybe just to enlighten some of the people in terms of the size of the operation, there, can you maybe give us some some facts and figures about you know what it takes sort of to put on Ironman and numbers of people involved and and things like that? Because it's I think some people don't actually understand the the gravity of of how big an event it really is. You know, it is, it is, it's it's really difficult to comprehend what it takes as a community and as a team to make it happen. I will say this, that, that where it starts is it starts with everybody believing in the same end goal and believing in that dream. Um, we have 17 directors that are really the people that lead us to that day. Um, those 17 directors, you know, oversee various divisions they each have an assistant director and then on top of that and those people are involved with the race year-round um, they each have a team of coordinators so we have over a hundred coordinators that are actually you know they get more microscopic they focus on a specific area and then when it comes to race day there's over five thousand people that are involved with the race on race day and what amazes me the most is you know, what those people will do, what they'll put aside to make certain that you have the day that you'd hope for and dream for. They put all their differences aside. And at the end of the day, it's just about seeing the athlete fulfill their dream. So in, in terms of the, the number of paid staff you had, obviously WTC have got their, you know, their, their head office there in Florida. But in terms of, you know, number of, you know, work, full-time working staff you've got for, for 70.3 and for Ironman, have you, have you got a big team there in Kona or is it fairly small? You know, it's, it's small. Um, I have, there's me, one, two, three, there's four full-time mm -hmm. and there's one that, one schedule that goes part-time to full-time depending the season that we're in. Um, one of the things that people have a difficult time understanding, you know, if, if you look at the way our corporate structures run, we have a lot of teams that go from event to event. What's unique about this team is that they actually are involved with all of the events we do. So outside of Honey, you can look at Honey and you can look at um, Ironman and the events itself, but they're also responsible where it starts um, is putting on those 15 other special events that take place in that nine-day period of time. Mm -hmm. So each year we're looking at how do we expand and, and how do we make this experience a greater experience for the athletes and for the spectators because, you know, we want them to enjoy their time on the island. We want them to have a, a full world championship experience. So this year we're actually adding another event called the Ho'ala Swim, which takes place one week prior to race day and again you know that starts here in this office so 
they are pretty tapped out. Um, I couldn't be any luckier. I have this phenomenal team that I work with, and we work so closely together, not only with this, the team directly in the office, but our directors, that it really does become your family. And um, I've learned so much with working with this group of people, and without a doubt, no matter how many struggles and how many challenges we've gone through over the years, um, you know, I really feel I'm a better person for it because of the people that I've had the opportunity to learn from along the way. So can you just tell us a bit more about that swim? Because I'm sure there's, you know, we have a lot of listeners who go over the island, they may not be participating, but um, what's the deal with the swim? So basically we, we want to encourage the people that are here. Um, athletes can participate as well, but it'll be on um, the Ironman race course. And it's just basically a training swim, a fun swim, um, but it will be a formalized swim so people can come out and have the opportunity to be a part of another event and be a part of something that brings them that much closer to Ironman because it will be on the course that day. That's great. Over the years we've heard, and, and there may be not many facts behind this, but we've heard that you know the locals don't necessarily like the event so much, you know, that, that maybe it brings a bit of, you know, disruption to the locals kind of week that the Ironman leading up to the race. Uh, what, what is the feel with the locals about the race and, uh, and how's that relationship developed over time? So, you know, I think that you're always going to be able to find negativity in any situation if you look at it that way. And if we didn't have the positive support of the community here, we wouldn't have this event. Mm -hmm. So as much as you may hear somebody say something negative, I think that the, the facts prove that overall there's this incredibly positive support for the event. Otherwise, there's just no way it would happen. Um, you know, clearly any event, no matter where you are, and even if it is an event that has 500 to 700 people, that does impact the community in the normal flow of, of life. And we all get accustomed to routine and, you know, when we have something that disrupts our routine and we have to plan differently, it can create a challenge for us. But at the end of the day, um, this is the Ironman World Championships home. Um, the people here of Hawaii embrace it. And it's proven by showing what they'll give of themselves, of their time, of their businesses to, to make certain that it happens. Um, you know, it's one of those things when, when there can be thousands of positive people about something, but that one negative person tends to, to sometimes take the show. And um, my hope is that, you know, those are the people that you can get to come down and experience the event and experience the positive and maybe change what their belief is about it because there's so much good that comes from it just of the goodwill of people. What about obviously? Um, yeah, it's it's bloody hard to qualify for Kona, and um, a lot of people, you know, they're now looking at the legacy program as a, as a way to potentially get in there. Can you maybe explain to people why at this particular race you can't have more participants on the course versus when we see maybe a, you know, a, I don't know, a Lake Placid or, or somewhere else where they maybe have two and a half to three thousand people on the course? Why you can't do that at Kona? Right. So we have grown it. Over since 2003, we've probably grown the qualification slots by about 500. Um, so that it's a really great thing. There are some parameters around it that that kind of keep us from growing it 
too much at any given time and we've gradually increased those numbers because we never want to affect or change the, the experience for the athletes without really knowing what it's going to get us into as well as the course. So um, if you're familiar with the course, you know that we hold both transition areas on the Kailua Pier and there's only so much space on that pier. It's surrounded by water. So that is one of our factors of having to keep it within a certain range of limiting the number of athletes that compete. But the other factor that you have is that, you know, in Kona, you have the best athletes in the world starting on that course on race day. And so if you were to look at a bell curve of maybe the finishers at a Lake Placid or Coeur d'Alene or any one of the other races compared to Kona, everybody's fast. So everybody's together. Um, so the more people you put on, you're continuing to put faster people on the course and it does create some challenges for managing the operation. So we continue to evaluate every year to see what we can do to maintain the most positive experience for our athletes, yet try to make certain um, we can offer the opportunity as a world championship to as many people as possible as well. I guess, um, and you, you may not be able to answer this question or not, um, yeah, in the last few weeks and months we've seen some changes to the swim starts at um, Coeur d'Alene and, uh, and I think they've used it at Placid as well. And it's... Um, yeah, I mean, it's a spectacular sight in Kona. It really is when you see the gun go and yeah. you see all those people take off. Is that something that has been discussed in terms of changing the start format at Kona? You know, we right now can, will continue to have a mass start in Kona. Um, you know, I know there's been a lot of back and forth regarding the direction that the company has taken with exploring the, the opportunity to change the swim start at the races. And one of the things that, that I love about, you know, having the opportunity to work with Andrew Messick and his direction is that, you know, he's taking into consideration the athletes, they're exploring opportunities and they're truly looking for what is the best direction for the company and, and for these events. Um, I know it hasn't been taken positive by some of the people that have been in this sport for a number of years. but. At a point, you have to take a step back and say, you know, the sport has changed and it's become more popular and you have to make those tough choices. And, and I think by experimenting with it and seeing what is the best direction for the athlete, for the sport is a great thing. And it makes me proud to work for the company because um, they're not af afraid to try things that are different. But right now, one of the things that we're fortunate about, again, is you go back to you know, the athletes that are competing in Kona, it's not necessarily their first race. Mm. And so they have some experience that maybe some of the athletes at other events don't have. Mm. On, on that front, you know, what are some of the complaints that you get um, that maybe frustrate you because people just don't really understand the behind the scenes of it all, you know, that, that maybe you'd like to maybe give us some insight into? You know, I, I can't really say that I have... A particular frustration with anything. I think um, I think the biggest thing in life, whether it's doing this or, or anything that you approach, is that just that people need to be open. Mm. People need to have a, maybe an awareness or understanding that you know what you see on the surface may be one thing, but that there's always more to a story. There, there's always more to a situation than maybe you understand. 
And so sometimes people jump to conclusions without maybe understanding the big picture. And I guess that could create some frustration. Um, so I, I really think that at the end of the day, it's always about education and communication and and trying to understand that there may be more to something than, than you truly understand without jumping in and, and pointing fingers and making accusations. Um, but I don't ever think that people do that with intent, at least I hope, to create a problem. I think people are very passionate about Iron Man and um, it's something that they hold close to their heart. So they're going to speak up if they feel like things aren't right and that's okay. Um, I think at the end of the day, that's how we are able to be the best that we can be, is by listening to what others have to say. Mm. Um, one, one thing that obviously is synonymous with, with Kona is, is the conditions, and it's, it's a tough day at the office. And Bevan and I have both done the course and, and raced there before. And one thing I'm intrigued to know is... Um, what would it take for it to, to cancel the bike course? Because, you know, it can get incredibly windy out there. <laughs> you want to cancel it? No, no, but I'm just saying, what, at what level? You did the, Bevan did the year when it was windy. 2004, yeah. When, when it was windy both directions, and, and I've ridden out there, and, and it's it's been pretty full on at times. But do you have any barometer in terms of, right, or, or is it, have it, has it ever come close to being cancelling the bike league due to the wind conditions? You know, there has, there's been some tough years out there, and, and one of my favorite things is no matter what year you've done, it's absolutely the most difficult year in yeah. winter. There's not, there's a, a tremendous amount of things that are taken into consideration with our public safety division, and looking at at what point do you um, have to make an alteration in any aspect of the course. You know, one of the things that the athletes do know is coming into coming into this race, it's it's going to be windy. Um, the good thing is, is we have a representative in our public safety division from civil defense and from weather and all aspects of what's going on on the island. Um, you know, right now, actually, we had a, a a hurricane and downgraded to a tropical storm heading our way. Wow. Um, so we're waiting actually for it to hit at any time. So we have we have the ability to evaluate. Uh, last night we didn't think our offices would be open, but this morning you wake up and the skies are blue. Mm. So it's just a matter of really monitoring it and really having a true sense of this is what's going to happen. And because of the ability to track the weather, we're very fortunate that you know as much as it can change in a minute we really will have some facts of how bad. Is it going to be hurricane force winds or is it going to be another windy day in Kona? Uh, the scariest thing, as you know, is that if you've never ridden in those kind of winds, it's a, it can be alarming. Mm. But I do feel that most of the athletes that are qualifying and coming to Kona, um, as much as they can brag about they had the windiest year that there ever was, if they didn't have those winds, um, it would probably not give them as much to talk about. I, tell you, I, I did it in 2005 and it was, I think it was one of the calmest years you've had and I did feel a bit cheated. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, can you, can you tell us what race day is like for you, you know, because I imagine, you know, you put, you know, a huge amount of energy throughout the year into, into making sure this is a successful race and, you know, it's, you guys do a great job in Kona and so I'm sure it, there's a sense of reward at the end of race day, but tell us about your race day experience. You know, it's funny because... I remember when I 
first started doing this, I kept waiting for that 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 moment where it's going to be like, yes, you know, this was it. It, it all came together and it was great. And and it's funny because um, I kept searching for that that time of it's going to be after the swim starts. It's going to be after this. You know, then it was going to be at midnight, and then it was going to be at awards. And um, you know what I really found out, ironically enough, it, it's not just one any given point. It's truly the journey of getting to um, that starting point. That is what is is so fulfilling. It's all the things that you overcome. But race day itself, um, you know, the easiest way to put it is stressful. Uh, I don't know that I don't know that there's ever a point where I really um, let down, where I really can say, you know, everything is okay. Uh, you know, even after that last finisher crosses, as you guys know, there's there's other people that are out there typically on the course still trying to come home, and then after that, you know, there's a, a whole different set of circumstances that are happening behind the scenes and. Mm with things that have happened throughout the day or people that may, you know, be in medical. And so there's really not on that day a moment in time that, that you feel this, this sense of, yeah, that was great. Um, it takes some time to get to that point. It takes going through some recaps and, and going through that week and finishing the, the next couple of events that you have. But as a whole, uh, you know, the, the general feeling that, you know, you worked all year and this team has worked all year for one day is, is a pretty incredible feeling. And what I encourage our, our directors to try to do and the volunteers to try to do and the team I get to work with every day in this office is at, at some point, take a step back and just take 10 seconds to look around you and see what you're a part of making possible. Because, and it gives me chicken skin right now to even think about it, because it is so amazing when you get to see those people cross that finish line. And although sometimes that pure joy on their face doesn't last very long before they're walking back in pain, the look on their face and the overall joy of what they've achieved and that you are able to be a small part of it is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it basically a 24-hour day for you? Do you like start at 3 in the morning and then probably finish at 3 the next morning? I typically don't go to bed the night before. Yeah. Um, you know, they're still doing setup and depending on, wow. you know, where the tide's at and putting the stairs in <laughs> for the swim. Um, and there's just a million things that I think anybody would be doing you know you're sitting there going is this done you're asking yourself a ton of questions and then there's always that fear of if I go to sleep what if I don't wake up <laughs> so, um, so I don't go to sleep the night before and then that next night after the race or you know the race night I probably don't go to sleep you're, you're correct until about two or three in the morning wow so what, what about when you wake up what about the day after that how are you feeling after that it must be like a hangover you know you you it's like anything. It's just it's like the athlete pushing themselves through on that day. When your mind has something that you need to achieve, yeah. it's amazing what you can accomplish. Yeah. And so you you don't push through to the to that race. We actually have to push through. You know that night we start preparing as soon as we get up the next day. Um, the office is open and we start preparing for the awards banquet um, because our team 
puts that event on as well. And you get through that night, and the next day you put on the Mahalo party, which is 3,000 volunteers show up. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can't stop because at the end of the day, the reason that this is possible is because those 5,000 people on race day made it happen. So you can't just say, okay, I'm done after the race because, you know, the most critical factor of your operations team is all going to show up Monday and they so deserve to be recognized and appreciated. Mm. It's, it's not all, you know, obviously Kona is, um, Ironman is, is the, the massive part of your year, but there's other things going on as well. So the last um, couple of years I've been over with a camp and we've done the, the Honu 70.3, which is, um, it's a bloody good event. And so tell us a bit about a couple of the other things you're doing, you know, give, give a plug for any, any of the other events that you're involved in. Well, as far as the Ironman 70.3 Hawaii goes, thank you so much for supporting it. We feel like um, it's, it's definitely our little small town event compared to the Ironman World Championship. Mm. It's a little bit more low key, uh, definitely has grown, but have an incredible partner with the Fairmont Orchid being able to host the event there because it's such a beautiful venue. But we do try to keep it Hawaii as much as possible. And I, I, since you've been here, I, I think you see that. Um, a registration has opened, and this year's event is May 2014's event will be May 31st. Um, and definitely, you know, look forward to having you and your team back because it is the, the groups like that and the people that come back year after year that kind of still, you know, they hold on to that, that Hawaii portion of it as much as there's not the pomp and circumstance. It's definitely a Hawaii event and uh, I think is a very special event. So thank you um, for supporting it. Um, and then outside of that, you know, we do some traveling and, and I'm working um, more closely with our world championship events as we go into this year, the 70.3 world championship. And just at the end of the day, John, just really want to say thanks to all those athletes out there that support Ironman and believe in the dream. And, you know, my hope is that, you know, those that have qualified or that have that dream will come to Hawaii and have an experience that, you know, they'll always hold close to their heart and one that brings them incredible memories that will last their lifetime. Well, I can say for, from my perspective, you know, I've raced a race and John and I have been there quite a few times doing media work and it's, um, you know, like, it's an amazing week, you know, like, and, and even when you've been there a few times, it's not the event where you get used to it and uh, just, it's never the same thing and, and I think for those who have done it know how much an amazing event is, but also for those who haven't done it, when you come along, it's not just the race day, it's that whole race week and there's just something magical in the air and, you know, it, that, that, the benefit of that comes from all the work that you guys do. So you're doing great work, guys. Mm. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, I'll definitely pass it on. We have a director's meeting uh, this week, and I know that they would love to hear that. Yeah, so it's true. Well, Diana, we, um, you know, as, as you said, you're, you're a fantastic team leader, and um, and I know a lot of people look up to you, and you keep your, your troops motivated, which is which is obviously crucial. And, and again, yeah, I'd just like to pass on what Bevan says, is that I think yeah, you've gone on and on about the, the support of the – the um, you know the community and that, but but just like a lot of the aid stations are manned by um, kids and man they're really good energy all day long. Yeah, so, so give some high fives to those kids. They love that sort of stuff when you're going through and um, and just you know support the community as much as you can. So Diana, thanks very much for your time and um, yeah we appreciate you coming on the show. All right, you guys have a great day. Aloha. Thank you. It's that's that's a wicked job, isn't it? 
oh, it's a big, it's a, it's a tough job, but but wicked job as well at the same right. time. And she does an amazing job because Kona, I don't think anyone walks away from the Kona experience being disappointed. No, there's always elements of the race that you think could possibly improve a little bit, but on on the on the whole, oh, it's, it's a pretty, pretty great event. Good. And I'm I'm really I really like the idea that they've added this year that that swim event to it. I think that's really good value, for, especially for the guys, you know, for the, like the Kiwis and stuff, who, and the Aussies who've got to go over there a bit earlier to to get ready for the race. I think that adds a real. You know, I, I got an email and emailed a couple of athletes that are, that are doing the race and said, you know, get on it, look out for this. It's it's coming up. And uh, is your iPhone nice and clean over there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I'm cleaning it. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening. Yeah, you're talking about you emailed your mates. Yeah, you said, look, there's a swim happening. Yeah, they're doing pretty good. Get on it. Yeah, so Gotta be there for a couple of weeks early. Do the race. And so now there, I don't have to listen with my eyes. <laughs> there is, um, yeah, there's, there's plenty of things going on in the, in the week now. You know, you've got the the undies run, and some of the things are not directly related to their organisation. You know, swimming out to the coffee boat. Uh, you're gonna have that swim now. Wetsuit run. Wetsuit Aquathon, that's going to have to come back in 2014. It's going to yep. be sadly missed in 2013. Yeah. Maybe we should try to run it anyway, get Barry Siff to run it for us. Here we go. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's just, it just seems to be doing a good job. Yeah, there's not, I guess the only area I, I, I potentially fault them on is, 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 and they tidied it up nicely last year when we were there, is that post-finish area, um, which they, they cleaned out a lot yeah. of the, the public from there. Um, we should have talked to her about that. Mm, and then I guess the... Uh, yeah, yeah the, last year was the, the, the year before it was a disaster. People were everywhere, it was all over the place. Last year was like deserted. It was great. It was, but it was good for the athletes. John and I basically had our own run of everything. Run the roost. <laughs> come this way. Come this way. Interview this way. Yeah, over here, please. Over here. I can't uh, walk. Don't worry. Come over here. Yeah. So on the whole, it's a it's it's well done and a far out man. Stressful job that that race directing. Don't you know? We, we had the guys on Legends um, fairly recently. The guys that did the the, the the original series and man, race directors they work hard. They are, as she said, she's up all night and uh, yeah, she basically goes forty eight hours, full on week. Imagine the sleep after that. Yeah. Oh, it'd be nice getting to bed. Um, sponsor John, Athlinks.com. Yep. Tell gonna, me about it. Gonna keep it simple this week, Bevan. Keep it simple, John. Sign up. So. <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't signed up, it's as simple as that. How long have you been listening to the show? We had, who who we have on last week? Barbara? Yeah. It's episode one. Exactly. I'm sure she signed up to Athlinks, but you need to sign up. All you do is you go to athlinks.com, you put in a little bit of information about yourself. Yeah. And then all you need to do is every so often when you've done a race, you just go on, you find the website you've done the race on. Yeah. You, there's a two-minute process. Then your results are there. It's pretty straightforward. It's one of those things you don't regret doing after the fact. No. You know, but you do regret if you don't do it once yes. you retire. Yes, you know, and Benin's going to be going over all these results time and time again, and no, because I didn't do it very well. That's the thing that breaks my heart. I didn't, especially like like I know my Ironman times and stuff like that. But I did a lot of cycle race. Like I used to race quite a lot back in the day, mm-hmm. and you know, like it's kind of nice to look back and know how I did and stuff. And like I was, I was actually an okay cyclist, and so and you can go and suss people out. So here we've got. Um, Barbara Nielsen, who, who was on last week's yep, show. Last week's show. Nelson, not Nielsen, from Idaho Falls in Idaho. And I can go through here and uh, look at all her results. She did 70.3 in George, St. George earlier this year, 616. Nice. Uh, she did, what have we got now? I'm in Cozumel, um, 1604. And she nice. did a marathon, a woman's, um, looks like a half marathon. And uh, you just go through and you can suss out other people's yeah. results. It's good times. So I think I can probably see all her results here somehow. And you can break it down in different races and stuff like that. She's got 115 races So she's there. someone who's used athletes amazingly, isn't she? I bet mm-hmm. she loves that she's done that. Yeah. Because as we say, 
if you're doing over 100 races, you're not going to remember all those races, you know, later on down the piece. But then you sign on to Athlinks and you go, wow, look at this. And then I can just go onto her profile here and I can just check it. Uh, it's all broken down into different things. And then I can just go list. So, okay, so list, tell me. List all her, I've got her, all her Ironmans listed here. Her best is a 13.23.39 of Florida. She likes that one, PB. Uh, latest was 16.04 in Cozumel. Probably wasn't so stoked with that day, yep, but slow. at the office. Average 15.04. 10 races completed over five years, five months, and six days. See? How cool is that? Yeah. And one of those races real soon is going to be Kona because she's got the... Exactly. Yeah, she's got the 12. And it's got all her differentials here when she does the different races. Oh, tw- just my Twitter thing pops up on this. Torsten, uh, Torsten oh, I hate your... Have you got Twitter going on there as well? Oh, it, doesn't, it just sort of pops up in the corner just saying he had a chat with me on I Am Talk oh, coming do up. That. Don't yeah. do that. Don't do it. <laughs> John, Apple have done this thing on their computers. One thing I don't like about Apple is when notifications pop up when you're on your screen. Yeah. And they, you can turn it off, but they don't have an easy option. You basically go and find an Apple script on the internet and do it. Because for me, if I'm working, I want to be able to focus what I'm on, not things popping at me, not phones and mm. things on my screen. and It distracts me. And don't do it, John. Stop it. I don't, I don't. But John, what John does is John, but he does these Google invites for interviews and he gets it to pop up on my screen and stuff and it really annoys me. So now I've started declining. But it's just giving you a heads up on what's coming out. I don't have a problem with you declining it, but then you know, right, John's organised an interview for you. Just, it's in the back of your mind. The only time I need to know is when it's outside of normal showtime. Okay, I'll keep reminding you that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm good like that. There you go, athletes.com, guys. Check it out. It's, it's definitely worth doing it. It's one of those things that takes a couple of minutes each time you race and you'll never regret doing it later on down the piece. So, guys, we're going to check on um, this this pro conference. Pro panel. Pro panel. That's the one. Pro panel that Barry Siff, our American correspondent, coordinated for us. And it's, it goes for about 40 minutes, so uh, we'll check this on right now. You guys can never listen. And uh, we, I, to be honest, I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, but hopefully there's lots of great insight in there. There we go, right now. Without further ado, as, as Matt said, as Matt said, I, the two of us have never been more excited to have a panel. And those of you on Facebook who have seen me putting it up over and over and how excited I am, it's legit. I haven't done this before. Usually it's just whoever shows up, it's great. But I just wanted to make sure everybody understood um, how wonderful this panel is. I, I know Tim understands how wonderful it is. He's been telling me how great Amazing. <laughs> anyway, um, so let me do some introductions, and then I'm going to throw some questions out, but then I'd love for you to, uh, to have questions. How many people are doing the 70.3 this weekend here? Okay, so about half. And for those of you in the listening audience, we probably have about 100, 150 people here, and I would say at least half are doing the 70.3. Um, how many are doing Ironman Boulder next year signed up? The right side of the room. Okay, good enough. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start with Drew Scott on the end. Drew was the 2012 USAT Amateur Athlete of the Year in America. Um, I think his claim to fame last year as an amateur was, and I was there when he won Buffalo Springs outright um, with the fastest time um, among all the pros and um, age groupers. We'll talk about that a little bit later to see if you still look at it the same way as being the fastest race of the day. Um, but just a tremendous athlete, uh, and um, he has also won every race here in Boulder, he, or there in Boulder, over on the other side. And we were all given passes, though, for the night, but we have to be back by 9.30, I think it was. <laughs> um, but anyway, from Boulder. Uh, yeah, Drew has won the Boulder Peak, has won the Sprint, has won the 70.3 as an age grouper, and um, yeah, phenomenal athlete. 
Rachel Joy sitting next to him. You know, I thought, Rachel, I, I didn't know your history from like 2006, 2007, but boy, do I remember last year when I saw your time in Kansas. So, you know, I really, really follow the sport. When I saw a 413 win an Ironman 70.3, I was pretty impressed. But the next month, I get goosebumps all over my legs and arms, uh, thinking about an 845 in Roth last year. Um, which is like one of the most competitive Ironmans around the world. And uh, 845 is pretty impressive. And that's what made me pick Rachel Joyce to win Kona last year after she had finished sixth, fifth, and fourth. But she was sick going into the race. I remember that. So um, Rachel Joyce right here, Wade, from Great Britain also. And drew, of course, is from Boulder. Tim Don, I saw a race in 2000. Was Hy-Vee 7 or 8? What year was the win there? 10, okay, well, okay. 2010 when he won, was it 250 or 200,000? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably approach <laughs> um, Two-time Olympian, he was in Sydney, uh, he was in Athens. Three-time Olympian, Beijing, excuse me. I, you know what, I, I'm not gonna talk about Beijing though. I'm not gonna talk, I don't wanna get into Beijing, that's why I dismissed it. Um, three-time Olympian, one of the very few three-time Olympians, as a matter of fact, um, uh, and also world champion in 2006, if I remember correctly, 2006, ITU world champion. So he's come from the ITU world really fast, um, has run, I said before the run, it was a 27-minute uh, 10K. It was actually a 28-minute, I'm sorry, I don't know why I would have made that, but a 28-minute 10K shortly after Hy-V, right around that same, just before Hy-V. Um, so anyway, with that. And Liz Blatsford, uh, who won the Ironman 70.3 Boulder last year, uh, handily, so handily that, I don't know if you know, it is a course record. Did you know that? Neither did I until this afternoon. So she has the fastest time by a female ever on this course, a course which has had the likes of everybody, from Chrissy Wellington to Julie Dibbins to on and on. Um, but pretty much blew away the record, as a matter of fact. So it was very impressive. Um, and we'll be mentioning a lot of that a lot this weekend at the race. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, I think there was a few articles after the race that said, you know, I was the overall winner. And and I, I don't know if I would classify myself as the overall winner there. Levado, who won the race. Yeah, he, you know, he won the professional race. So I had to, uh, had to be kind of nice to him. Uh, <laughs> anyways, but... Um, yeah, this is my first year uh, as a professional. I did one race the end of last year, and uh, unfortunately, I, I fractured my cuboid during that race. Um, being a little stubborn, I decided I'd, I'd run through it. You know, I figured I couldn't drop out of my first professional race. Um, so I, I went through it, and um, this year has been a bit of a struggle just getting back uh, into running and, and finally feeling like myself again. So I, I did the Boulder Peak a few weeks ago. Um, that was my first or second pro race. Um, and uh, yeah, it's definitely a different, um, you know, that once you're racing with the, with the big boys, you know, you can't, you can't have a weak swim and expect to make it up on the bike or, um, you know, they're, they're darn good in all three. And so that was a good, good test for me. And, you know, I really enjoy um, racing the, doing big races with, with some of the big names, you know, like Tim O'Donnell and um, those guys, so it's fun for me to, to mix it up with them, and, and hopefully I can uh, hang up hang up in the mix a little longer uh, next time around. Long future ahead, Drew. Long future ahead. Rachel, 
John Newsom from I Am Talk is one of your big fans, but he wants to know: Do you prefer Joycenator or Joycetron? <laughs> big on nicknames uh, in I Am Talk. I, I needed some some warning on this question. <laughs> oh, no. You gotta you gotta pick right now because um, this is gonna stick. I think Joycenator. Joycenator. Yeah. John, you got that Joycenator. <laughs> All right. Hey, Rachel. Um, he also wanted me to ask you this. Uh, but this is easy. This is well, it's not that much easier. Uh, you know, as a, with a short course, you, you didn't have much of a short course career, according to John. John, you went long distance pretty quickly, and but you're a decent swimmer, unlike most Ironman athletes. That's what John Newsom said. Um, why? Why did you go so quickly into the long course? Um, I, I was, at the time I was working, um, in London and I, I swam a lot and I swam with a club, but I was getting bored of just swimming and I was kind of looking for another challenge and I'd, I'd run a marathon and done pretty well. And so then that kind of spiked my interest in kind of endurance events. Um, and so I had, I had done an Olympic distance, but there wasn't kind of a real, I think what appealed to me was more the challenge of the distance than going fast. So that's why I, I kind of like immediately jumped up to half Ironman distance. And at that point I had, you know, turning professional wasn't even on my, you know, it wasn't on my radar. I just wanted to complete a, a half a half Ironman. Um, and then I did pretty well at that. And it, it then kind of snowballed. I, you know, I qualified for the first 70.3 world championships in uh, 2006 and I you know I'm competitive so I kind of wanted to go there and do as well as I could and I went there and I won my age group and having started at the half Ironman distance I kind of felt very comfortable with it and I kind of realized my swim wasn't good enough to kind of go down to do I just felt like I started at the half distance and so then the next challenge became doing an Ironman. I always was kind of like looking at going longer rather than faster. And um, now I kind of think next year, maybe I'll do a few more 70.3s and try and get a bit faster. But I just, I, I kind of just kept going longer and longer. And um, I, yeah, first of all, you know, I had a lot of injury because I, after the 2006, um, half Ironman World Championships I thought right that's it I want to go professional I'd like like Drew I had I was I think I had the 11th fastest time overall and I was seeing people like Leander Cave and I was like wow I wasn't that far off her so you know I always wanted to kind of race the best people so that's why I turned professional um, but then I was injured on and off for two years and it just became my my only kind of I just wanted to finish an Ironman and luckily I did pretty well in my first Ironman and it was enough to kind of um, convince myself that I could have a future at professional triathlon and then I just I just feel very comfortable with the Ironman distance now. So. Well it certainly shows, I mean I, I didn't mention but Rachel's also won Ironman Lanzarote, she won Ironman Texas this year uh, and, and is certainly one among the top favorites going into Kona this year if she can stay healthy. <laughs> which is a challenge for all these guys. I mean, that would be a whole other topic of how close they're always at uh, to that injury level. So Tim Don, um, 
we could just give you the mic and we could all just listen. Uh, John Newsom question. Okay, you ready? Do short course guys think long course athletes are slow? Yes. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> so just so you know, I mean, Tim has an illustrious career with, or, or background with ITU racing, really, really, really fast, all out. Uh, and has now gone in 70.3. Oh, I didn't mention, uh, three days ago, four days ago, one Ironman 70.3 Calgary uh, against a very, very good field. Um, so won that, and as a result is not racing this weekend. I guess if he hadn't won, he probably would have raced. But anyway, what do, you, what do you think? What do you see when you see these long course guys? No, definitely. Um, no, they're fast. You know, there's no two ways about it. Stepping up from ITU, you know, it's a, a tactical race. It's, um, you know, it is even faster, obviously, because it's an hour 45. It's getting shorter and quicker. But, you know, I've done only five 70.3s, and I was, you know, the swim is, is fast. Sure, there's not the, um, what's the right word, the fighting around the boys. Um, but, you know, without a doubt, you know, it's not got nothing to do with training hard or training longer. You know, that if you're averaging over 40k an hour, it's fast. Yeah. <laughs> and they're doing it for two hours, two hours ten, you know, unless you're Starkovich and it's one hour thirty or whatever he does <laughs> on the bike. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's, it's a different fast. So it's a sustained fast, it's a strength fast as opposed to, you know, a set of eight, four hundreds on the running track. It's more about best pace for 12 1Ks, but you still have to run fast. You know, if you look at any distance runner, any track cyclists, you know, look at Bradley and Froomey, or more Bradley and the, most of the Skyboys, they're coming from 4,000 pursuit, which is four minutes, and now they're winning Tour de France. You know, you look at Mo Farah, he's just broken the European record for 1,500, and he can run a 58 half marathon, so you still need to be fast to go fast. Just gets longer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, Liz Latsford. So, I didn't purposefully invite three Great Britain athletes. It just sort of happened that way. But it seems like if you pick great athletes in any distance these days, you're going to have some Great Britain athletes all of a sudden. And I do mean kind of all of a sudden. I mean, it's in the last few years. It's been really domination. Um, you know, from the Brownleys, from Chrissy, et cetera, et cetera, yourself and, and everybody here. What's going on in Great Britain to have, I mean, it used to be we would say that about New Zealand and Australia. And, but how was it with you all moved to Boulder, yeah. Okay. I'm actually probably the wrong person to ask because I don't spend any time in Britain. Um, I live in Australia and yeah, so I don't know what they're doing over there, but it seems to be working. It seems to be working phenomenally well. So you also came from a short course background. Um, what about, talk about pacing a little bit. When in short course, it just seems, you know, it's all out, especially when you watch the girls and boys now. I mean, it's just all out. Um, what about short course versus long course pacing, like at a 70.3? Um, yeah, from my switch over last year, doing ITU, trying to get to the games last year and then straight into the long stuff, um, I still went into the races like they were races and I know some of the girls don't and some of the guys don't and um, I don't know if that was frowned upon, but that's, um, you know, I'm in it for a race and I don't want to just go out there and um, be bored and on my own. So I'm looking at where people are and, you know, keeping it a race. And um, and I think you'll notice in the big races, especially in Vegas and Kona, it, it is, there's tactics and um, yeah. it's not just a time trial. There's a lot to it and to do with, 
you know, drafting and, you know, not drafting and passing and not getting caught and all this sort of stuff. So there is a lot of lot more tactics to it than, um, than you might originally think. Oh, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because to be honest, I haven't been an Ironman devotee all my life. And, um, but it seems like those people that do that quite often blow up. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that, that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we've seen. <laughs> Ask Marina. Um, yeah. Drew, on, on the Ironman question, you switched, you know, you, so you did Kona two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, of course, everybody knows your lineage and figured, oh, well, he's got to go to Ironman. And that, that was awfully quick. I mean, you know, it's taken Liz Blatch for 10 years to go, and, it, you know, it's taken, well, Tim Don. 35 years old hasn't gone yet you know and you're what 18 years old and well <laughs> almost 16 almost. Um, but seriously are you do you are you good with the fact that you went to Kona two years ago Would, if you're looking back do you think you should have waited um yeah I think in hindsight it it might have been yeah it was probably too early um you know I had just gotten into the sport really that was the first time I had consistently trained in triathlon for you know more than the summer um, and I qualified in Lubbock, and it was just sort of a sort of on the on the whim decision. And you know, I talk, my dad was there, and I talked with him, and and he said, you know, if you want to do it, you can do it. Um, so I think I was, you know, I was a little bit not a little naive heading in, which maybe was a good thing. Um, but uh, and I, I guess I was a little lucky. I didn't get injured then. I think it easily could have happened that you know I started running 17, 18 miles, and you know I get injured. But um, I turns out I did get injured before the race, but it wasn't. I broke my hand two weeks before um, when Chrissy crashed. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a great experience, and um, you know I think I'm glad I did it. And uh, you know I still definitely want to go back uh, in the years to come. Uh, it's not going to be any time too soon. Um, but yeah, I look forward to, to racing there again. At some I point. think we're going to see a father-son duel in, um, in one of these. Hopefully, uh, I can beat him. I would, I would certainly hope so. Um, yeah, every day. Oh, that's right. Uh, but I did. You know, you mentioned the crash, and I've always been meaning to ask you this. You know, I I, I think about the mental game of triathlon a lot, and. You know, for those of you who don't know, you might remember when Chrissy Wellington had that horrific crash in 2011, yep. uh, which caused all the pain that led into Kona, and it was a bike crash. Um, that's who she crashed with. <laughs> she caught Drew's wheel, and both of them went down, and Drew broke his hand as a result. Yeah. Um, did that play on your head at all? I mean, here was Chrissy. You took down Chrissy Wellington. Well, well yeah. <laughs> In reality, she took down me. <laughs> no, it was uh, it was just one of those fluke things that, that can happen. She got a flat, and we were making a left turn, and I was on her outside, and she slid out and just happened in a split second. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it certainly couldn't have come at a worse time. But, you know, my dad, my dad was also coaching Chrissy, so he kind of had his hands full with his son and, and Chrissy both sort of a wreck. Chrissy was probably more, much more of a wreck than me, just in terms of her injuries. Um, but, uh, and then I got sick the week later, so it was sort of a whole slew of things. But I guess leading into the race, you know, I I didn't really know what to expect to a certain extent. And, you know, I said, I, you know, this is what happened. This is what I have to deal with. Um, and I'll kind of make the best of it and, and just see what I can do on the day, so. So speaking of injuries, Rachel, I saw you at the Boulder Peak Triathlon, which I had hoped that you were going to race, and you didn't race because you had a, 
an injury, mm-hmm. and then I was hoping you were going to race this Sunday, and I'm not sure if you are. Mm-hmm. And and I always do comment how you you guys at this level are always so close to being injured, and. How is it in, in July and August when you're looking toward Kona, when you're looking toward big races, um, how, do you, how do you find that balance between being injured or racing through injuries, training through injuries, mentally and, and physically? Um, you're, you're right there right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, like Drew said, when, you're, when something happens, you know, you, there's no point in kind of looking back and thinking, I wish I hadn't done that workout or I hadn't done this. Cause I mean, you have to just deal with what what you're dealing with, um, and at this point, you know, I'm not panicking. It's it's more like any decision I make now. It's probably going to be on the conservative side regarding racing because I've got my eyes on October, and I don't want to. I you know, there's a kind of eighty percent chance I could could have raced Boulder Peak, but if I'd have gone and done it and made something worse, and then, then I'd have been kicking myself. So I'd rather err on the side of caution um, and I think when when you're when it, whenever you're training for you know an event um, and it's not even just pros I think age groupers because you're balancing more in your life you've got kind of work family commitments you know it's always going to be a balancing act because you know sometimes you know I want to push myself as hard as I can in training and that means you're always going to be quite close to the line and I sometimes think I've got a bit better at kind of reading my body, but obviously <laughs> not that good. Um, and sometimes you just kind of go over the edge and, you know, just don't panic and do everything you can to make something better. Let's get into some, I guess, some practical stuff with Tim Don. Let's talk about nutrition. You know, in short course racing, I, I always have this image of Emma Moffat running with a gel in her hand and you know that's about it having one gel on the bike and keeping one in the hand while she runs and maybe taking it maybe not but never taking it um and now you're doing 70.3s to three hours and 40 whatever minutes uh talk about nutrition on on the difference between short course and long course and especially for the people in the audience here where we have 70 or 80 people doing the 70.3 this this coming sunday definitely nutrition and hydration as well i've learned with a hard way in one race this year that are much more important than short course for us. Racing one hour 45, if you prepare well, leading up to the race with your fluids and eating the right food at the right time, literally, I can race in Cancun in a short course where it's, I don't know, what's it, 35, 100, 100 degrees, 85, 90% humidity, and I can race with one water bottle because I've sodium load the day before and have one gel and um, good caffeine shot, mind you. But that's enough to get us through. But you can't do that for four hours. And um, I did one race and it was really cold, the UK 70.3, a classic British summer day. And I think I had 400 calories the whole race. Hence, I ran the last cane five minutes and ended up in the medical tent. So even when it's cold, I learned you still need to fuel. And um, also with training, I'm learning, you know, my longest ride before was only 200K. And now I've gone long course, I'm riding three or 400K. And um, most Saturdays, no one's listening. No. <laughs> Come on, guys, who rides 400k on a Saturday? No, but you know we need to back these. Oh, miles! Oh, sugar! They probably think of it like ah. Oh. Two hundred miles. <laughs> oh, it was lost. Damn. 
No, again, with training, you know, what you put in is what you get out. If, if you're having, is it Taco Bell for breakfast, you're going to get Taco Bell performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got to be smart, and this weekend it's going to be hot. Um, you know, it's a flat, fast course, so there's plenty of time. I think the faster the course, the more time there is to get energy in, because it's smooth roads, straight roads. You know, if you think you need four or five gels, take six or seven. You know, if, you know, if you think um, two water bottles are enough, make sure you know where the aid stations are, what they're giving you, because, um, you know, things like that. You know, at the time you're going, I, I'm not bonking, you know, I'm feeling really good, but it'll come and bite you in the butt on that second lap round the res, because it's bloody hot out there. Um, it really is. So no, nutrition, hydration, it's a strategy, you know, it's something you've got to try and train in and it's probably a bit late now on a Wednesday before the race. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, without a doubt, you know, you've put a lot of work into this like we have and, you know, to, to mess up, to maybe not get the best performance you want because of, you know, ill preparation so close can be avoided. You know, there's loads of products out there, loads of research done. So I definitely overfuel rather underfuel for sure. Liz, the swim start in the 70.3 here in Boulder is going to be a little bit different. Well, it's going to be a lot different for everybody here at a 70.3. If you did the Boulder Peak or did the sprint, you've got a taste of it. It's this rolling start now with the age groupers. It's more similar to a pro start. When you guys start, you're, you're with all the fast people. You're all together for the entire 1,500 or, or 1,900 meters. Um, the age groupers now are doing a rolling start where they're starting with all the people in their speed. So theoretically, over the 1,900 meters, they're all going to be together. What's the, as opposed to being with their age group and they can spread out, uh, any tips on, on doing that in a large group? Um, get to the front. <laughs> um, me and Tim have had a bit, a bit of experience with ITU racing. Um, that's actually, it can be really intense. With ITU racing, we have 80 people and we're all very similar standard. Yeah. The first four is 300 metres away or... That's in feet, but um, <laughs> so it's close, and it's just an absolute fight around that first bore. And I've come out with black eyes, and um, Emma Moffat on the weekend, she had a panic attack in one of the races, getting pushed under and scratched and stuff. So, but anyway, <laughs> maybe we should stop this question. <laughs> yeah, you have a great Actually, time. The long course races I've done and the Ironmans, um, people aren't as rough, and I don't know why those ITU girls are so mean. <laughs> um, but I don't know, just if you are getting in the way and people are beating you up, just take a breath and move over. It's a long day and just relax about it, I think. And any other hints? You know, you raced it last year, you, you blew it apart. I mean, like I said, the course record. Any other tips about the, specifically the 70.3 Boulder course that you learned from last year? Yeah, it gets hot. Um, it um, starts out not so hot, so don't underestimate it. But by the run, there's no shade. Um, it is hot, and um, you're um, gasping for every aid station that's coming. So um, make sure you hydrate on the bike, like Tim said, um, and do your yeah, just do your processes and stick to them. Last question for Liz, and then we're going to open it up to people out here. Ask any question you want. So you just made the decision to to go to Ironman, to, to, to try to get to Kona. How tough a decision was that? This year, going into this year, it wasn't necessarily at the top of your list. Um, and you just made it within the last week or two, I read. Yeah, I, um, I did my first Ironman six, seven weeks ago now. And 
really kind of enjoyed it in a sick sort of way. <laughs> um, and I did well and, and I just started to think about what I wanted. And um, I had, at the beginning of the year, I had pretty much qualified for Vegas and I was like, yeah, Vegas is my focus. And then I sat down, I was like, no, I'm actually more interested in Kona. And um, in order to do that, I have to do another Ironman in two weeks um, in Montremblant. So I'm doing that. And um, I need to get a decent result there. I think about a top seven should secure me a Kona start. So, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, Kona is the holy grail of our sport. And I've been doing, like you said, ITU a long time. And I just, all of a sudden, I just want to get all the way to the holy grail. Right on. <laughs> right on. Looking forward to watching you there. Um, questions? Questions. And we, we, we do have goodies for people who ask questions. So you are being... <laughs> Anyone? Oh, don't be shy. Come on. Yeah. So for Tim, how much has your training changed going from ITU training change to the bonus of 7.3? Um, we split that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as are you doing more? Yeah, volume. Less track workouts, less intervals. Um, definitely the swimming's dropped off a lot. You know, it's, um, it's key. You know, we swim 1500 in ITU, but it's all about the first 300. You need to get around that first camp, you know, in the top 20, otherwise it's a bun fight for 1500. So VO2 max sessions, I've not, I only, I used to do one a week um, in the pool. Now I do one maybe every, well, I sit on the back of Rachel and the, the other guys, so I'll probably do one every two weeks. Um, and again, with the biking, you know, um, we average, say, 330 watts for an hour, but we don't average, you know, Three twenty, you know, three, you know, it's, it's up and down, up and down. We're spiking 20, 30, 40, sometimes 50 times. I think it was in career over 600 watts, weighing 65, 145 pounds. So, um, but that's you don't want that in half Ironman. So for me, I've got a new coach who lives in Boulder, and we've really worked on my biking and um, putting a little bit more volume and more sustained effort. Um, effort. So threshold slightly above, slightly below what we thought was going to be my race pace, and then after doing two half Ironmans, what was my race pace, and similar on the run, it's a strength race, you, know, you want to run a 110, 112 off the bike, you've done 90k bike, you've, you've done a 1.9k swim, so again, you know, I've, I've knocked, knocked the head on some of the faster track stuff, done lots of build running, 15k build as 5k, so 3.2 miles, 3.2 miles, 3.2 miles, <laughs> you know, so yeah, more of that kind of like threshold uncomfortable you know, workload. I put a lot more of that in, and, and not the top end, top end off um, as well. And also, you know, um, in Europe we train at altitude um, a fair bit, but we're living on the top of a mountain, so it's very mountainous and it's hard to find flat running. But here, Denver, Mile High City, Boulder, um, you know, you can ride and run flat. So I, I get carried away and think I'm at sea level, and you've got to be careful with your recovery. You know, you need to really, I need to really go slow on my recovery rides and my recovery runs. So. Yeah, a little bit more volume and that kind of like threshold band. I'm, I'm really working at that race pace for the half. You know, you mentioned the cycling, and I can't help but ask about your opinion on you know. You look at slow twitch in the past. It's it's catching up to ITU understanding, I think. But you know, there's always the rap that ITU guys can't ride and don't ride hard. Um, and I think we saw. Uh, that in the mixed team relay last last week, we learned where Cam Dye, one of the one who's who is sat here with our with our group, got caught very easily because of the riding of the ITU racers. Uh, how good are the ITU cyclists? And I want to hear from you on the guys' side, and probably Liz on the on the girls' side. 
Oh, on the guy's side, we're bloody good. <laughs> no, you know, we train for one thing and half Ironman and Ironman athletes train for another thing. But it's, you know, it's apples and bananas or apples and pears, whatever they say over here. Um, you know, it's, it's two, two totally different things. Um, you know, and it's not a case of like, yeah, I'm a strong ITU boy, I can time trial. Maybe that Javier's the exception because he's so bloody talented, that kid, and he can jump from one thing to another and maybe Al if he gets his head right but um, no you can't really compare but if it, uh, you have to be smart and if you want to go down like Cam did you have to change your training and vice versa when you come up you have to change your training um, you know and I think it's you know without a doubt non-drafting Olympic distance he's the best in the world and it was a smart move to bring him into the American triathlon program what he's got to offer the young juniors is, is experience is how to win races you know how to race from the front and you know if you look at the ITU now you know the fastest runners in the men and women are the fastest swimmers and bikers so he's a, an asset to USA triathlon um, but I think he's coming across he's got a British passport so you know. <laughs> Liz any comment on the on the women's cycling in ITU uh, as far as the strength of cyclists yeah it's it's just a totally different strength um, like we kept saying, but um, I'm riding a lot more now, training for Ironman, but I wouldn't dream of going into an ITU race right now because I haven't done any of that change of pace, you know, that peak power stuff. Um, it's like criterium racing. So I think if I went into an ITU race now, I could probably get dropped, but I can time trial much better for 90 or 180 kilometers. Um, so it's just totally different training. Um, and some of those girls in ITU are really powerful, like um, for that explosive stuff. And then people like Lisa, she's the, female equivalent of Javier can do both, um, but yeah, it's just very specific. Question. Yes. For each one of the athletes, uh, what's your favourite of the three sports? Favourite sport for each athlete? Oh, I don't have a favourite. I love them all equally. <laughs> I love the transitions in Ironman. I got to, I got to ghost ride my bike at a weekend and uh, <laughs> that means you just get off the bike and you just go, here's my bike, and you just kind of throw it. It's amazing. I it. You do that in ITU, you get penalty. <laughs> um, I think it changes, like, depending on the day of the week. So sometimes uh, I love the swimming, sometimes... Um, I don't want to see my bike for a few days, but it will all change around, and I think that's what's good. You can kind of mix it up, and uh, usually at least one of the three is going pretty well. So, yeah. Um, for me, I'd say I'll say the bike's probably my favorite um, at the moment. The run is not high up on the list because it <laughs> kind of hurts right now, but it's uh, it's coming along. Um, but yeah, it's sort of. You, know, you have a good day in one and you, you're sort of on that high. You say, wow, that was really good. Let me do that again. Um, then you have a bad day and you say, oh, I, you know, I hate the bike or something. But no, it uh, changes up. You know, Drew, I've seen you standing on the bike, you know, pedaling, mm -hmm. standing a bit. And I remember Dave standing a lot during Ironmans, during his career. Yeah. I remember doing spin classes with him at Flat Irons where he would have a stand for 10 minutes because he would say you ought to be able to go up left hand canyon standing the whole way. Yeah. Um, does he work with you on that? I mean, is that um, yeah, he's sort of a big, big proponent of, you know, not just being, you know, some people are really strong seated climbing. Some people are better out of the saddle. Um, I've always been better climbing out of the saddle. And so I tend to do it more, but I think, you know, he, 
he's always worked with me on sort of just mixing it up, not getting stuck in, you know, always climbing seated or always climbing in your favorite gear and just sort of, sort of switching that up. So you, so you're, you're strong in all, in all three or in big gears, low gears or out of the saddle or, or sitting in the saddle. So, um, yeah, just change it up a bit so you can respond better in races as well. Interesting because not, not that many people do that. I mean, that's kind of a unique, I th yeah. think training approach. So I've seen that. Any next question? Yes. Right there. Uh, for for what distance? Uh, yeah, usually on the bike, half or Olympic distance. Um, I'll, I'll usually do. I'll have a, a fluid replacement drink um, on the bike, usually for Olympic distance, just a like a twenty four ounce bottle, um, and then I'll have you know I'll have one gel. Um, Olympic and, and for the this is a 21 ounce bottle for reference <laughs> um, and then yeah for for a half I'll have right around 400 calories an hour on the bike um, you know I think obviously you know it really depends how fast you're going it depends on how many calories you need but it's sort of something that that I had to play with um, and I didn't get it right the first few times and um, but yeah you, you you mix it up a bit and finally you you find the right right bit. Yes. As a professional triathlete and doing it as a full time job, how many hours a day or week do you actually train? Question is how many hours a week do you actually train? Rachel? Um <clears throat> I guess you've got you've got the swim, bike, run and gym part of the training. Um, which it, it varies, you know, sometimes it's, if it's a recovery week, it'll be less, but somewhere between 20 and 30 hours. Um, but then, then this is like the massage, there's kind of all the other the stuff that goes with it, which, you know, I, I've kind of got better with in the last couple of years, but, um, but it, it's time consuming. It sounds like it's a really great thing to go and get a massage, but sometimes you have to peel yourself off the sofa and know you've got an hour of pain <laughs> ahead of you. So, I mean, I kind of never, it's almost like you never switch off. It's one of those jobs where you're kind of, you have to learn how to switch off. And that's also something, you know, I've worked on in the last couple of years because otherwise you, you, you kind of are stressful. <laughs> Tim, what about you? Training for 70.3s now. Um, I probably train similar between 25 and 30 hours a week. Um, yeah, recovery, especially altitude, is important. And again, you have to switch off, um, and it is tough to do that. Um, the easiest way to do is have a have a young daughter. <laughs> Soon takes my mind off everything, chasing her around the house. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, because it is our life. It's it's more than a job, you know. I mean, I've been doing I left I've been doing this since 1996. So you know, it's it's my passion, it's my joy, it's my job. You know, it's stressful at times. You know, you, when you're injured, and you know. Um, so yeah, 25 hours, but yeah, you've got to learn to switch off. You, Rachel mentioned also the gym, and I'm beginning <laughs> to recognize that so many of you are spending time in the gym doing TRX or doing balance or doing flexibility, et cetera, et cetera. Liz, are you spending any time other than swim, bike, run? Are you in the gym? I, I saw you yesterday. It's a loaded question. I did see her yesterday in the gym, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I do gym twice a week. Um, a lot of the stuff I do is prehab or um, even rehab. So. I've been doing it a long time like Tim and I've had 
unlimited injuries, like every injury you could possibly have. So I've kind of got this set of exercises which prevents any of those from coming back. Um, and, and then just a lot of core and glutes and uh, stabilizing, that sort of stuff, twice a week for an hour. And, and what kind of mileage are you doing? No, but time-wise, you're training now, you, you've got an Ironman, what did you say, how many weeks? Uh, two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks, so a week or two ago. Um, yeah, the last few weeks have been my biggest weeks of my life. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. um, I haven't added up, probably around 30 okay. hours. Good. More. Okay, yes. we got time for probably two or three more questions. Yep. Um, most age groupers don't do this. So I'm curious, do you practice transition how often? Drew, uh, I'll ask you that. Um, to be honest, I really... Going into Boulder Peak, I hadn't practiced a transition since my last race in October. Um, but it, I think it is a good thing to definitely to practice. I think the biggest mistake I see a lot of people make is just having so much stuff at their bike that you know you can't even find what you're supposed to need, what you need on the bike, and then you know you're there sifting through things. So I think I think just keeping it simple, you know, keeping you know there's your running shoes, your race belt, um, have everything on your bike so you don't have to grab anything and stick in your pockets. Um, makes it a lot easier and then you know definitely practicing it a few times uh just so just so you're comfortable more than anything um come race day so next question yes Drew, what was so Sharon, obviously everyone knows your lineage so what was that moment like when you or did your dad come to you or did you go to your dad and say you know dad i think i'm ready was it like that Archie Manning moment? Uh, came to him and said, "Hey, I'm ready to play quarterback." Like it was inevitability, or was it uh, to do triathlon or yeah. to race? Um, no. Well, really, when I started doing triathlon, it was more just uh, sort of I, I wanted to jump in and do it. So I did the Boulder Peak. Um, I think it was 2008. Um, that was my first Olympic distance triathlon, and and I, you know, I I've been riding my bike and enjoyed it. But um, that was really it. Wasn't until the next year where I sort of Got the bug and I was skiing. I was Nordic skiing for I skied for ten years and was skiing at Montana State. Um, and just uh, yeah, my heart was sort of sort of in triathlon. You know, I do it in the summer and then stop. And so I I wanted to pursue it a little bit longer and I had done okay uh, just doing it in the summer. And so I said, you know, what if I do it for a full year? So, um, but he never never pushed me to get into triathlon. I mean, I think he's obviously he's happy that I that I got into triathlon, but at the same time he's um, he really left it up to me, and you know, I never felt like, oh, I gotta. My dad's won Hawaii six times. I better go to Hawaii and make a jump. Drew, I remember 2008, and didn't your brother also race? I mean, your brother. Um, he did. He might have been 2009. He beat me by a second. I, exactly. That, that's what I remember. So we, I know Jody and I always wondered which one of you would become. Yeah. You know. So what happened to you? I mean, I, that year? Or? No, to your brother. That year. Oh. <laughs> I well, I mean, seriously. Well, he's uh, he's stuck with Nordic skiing, so he skied at Montana State, and yeah. he's continuing to ski. Graduated uh, last spring, so he's he's skiing, and uh, he'll give it a go. I don't know if he has a. I'll say he has a shot at maybe making the Olympics in the okay. sprints um, if he has a really good year. But but he's not swim, bike, run. No, no, no swim and running. He's pumping right. up a lot in the weight room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. Last question, right here, Matt. Um, we talked a lot about physical preparation. We know. The, everyone can train the same amount of hours or whatever, but it really comes down to these heads in the game. What do you do like before the big race? What's your mental practice to get prepared? Mental practice before the race. T 
Tim Dunn. Come on, I, I see the mental game going in your head. You know, I mean, when you when when you were going into high V, I mean that that or any race, I guess I shouldn't focus on that race other than there was two hundred thousand dollars on the line. Is there any specific mental preparation? No, definitely there is, but I think um, the big mistake is uh, a week out is too late. You know, the level we're at, you've got to know the course, know your competition, know your strategy, you know, um, see, uh, you know, you control what you can control, you take the variables out and, you know, you can do that by playing situations, covering everything, finding out, you know, how, yes, I talk more about ITU because, you know, I've been doing that, I've only done five halves. You know, you've got to know where the corner, last 100 metres are, the, the corner into the finish. You've got to know, is it best to look over your left shoulder, the right shoulder, what's the shortest line? You've got to be relaxed. You've got to have a process. Um, we've worked with sports psychologists, um, you know, well, probably since the 90s. And, um, you know, without a doubt, there's certain things I definitely do before every race, which I probably wouldn't tell many people. <laughs> but no, there's, it's, it's got to be, it's got, I don't mean like that, guys. Come on. <laughs> It's worse than Boulder. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, you know, I'm quite methodical. I'm sure Liz will vouch for that. Um, you know, no stone unturned. And, you know, for me, I'm very practical. So, um, you know, to, to get in the head of people, crack a few jokes on the start line. I think Trevor Wirtle was a bit surprised when I started having a chat with him in T2 at the weekend. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, you know, just things like, you just, you just got to stay relaxed, you know. <laughs> Rachel, anything to add to that? Mental preparation? Um, pretty much the same um, as, as Tim said. I think you have to start thinking about a race kind of more than a week out. But I, tr I try not think too about the details too, like too much, too far ahead. Otherwise, you can kind of go around in circles. And I tend to kind of have a real run through and kind of sit down and think about most things probably three days out and then once I've done that I feel like I'm kind of really relaxed in the days leading up to the race and it, that's kind of important to me because I kind of like to feel relaxed and like my I, it's that my boyfriend does triathlon some, and we sometimes do the same ones and he's the exact opposite so he'll still want to be talking about it two days one day the night before and I'm just like just go and find someone else to talk about I'd rather talk about what's on TV <laughs> so yeah everyone's different and that works for him but it doesn't work for me and you just have to kind of work out um, what does work for you but I think being prepared is the main thing for me because then you can relax and feel like you've kind of covered all bases awesome thank you um, I want to thank our four pro athletes today for being here. Let's give them a big round. What do you think, John? Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even listen to it yet, so we can Amazing. That's all I'm going to say. Thanks, Barry, for sorting it out. It kind of worked yeah. out well for us because we're doing four shows in one day. It's kind of nice to have some other content on there. So thanks for doing that. Okay, John's sponsor. If you're off to Kona this year and you want to keep cool, Check out SLS Try. Get some arm chillers. That's C-H-I-L-L-A-Z. The chillers. Nice chillers. Um, they had a picture on their Facebook page. Chris McDonald uh, grabbing a pair before he was uh, going to be doing an Ironman race. I think it was, um, can't remember where it was actually. Fairly recent. But uh, I'm definitely getting myself a pair of these bad boys for when I go back to, to Conan next year to keep the arms a little bit uh, on the on the chilly side. So they're basically a, a white arm warmer. And uh, You, you shouldn't call them a warmer. 
um, yeah, cola. Uh, um, chiles, chiles. And chiles. And just keeps you, just another way you can help to keep the, your body cool a little bit. You know, it obviously reduces the amount of sun rays that are going to be getting through there. And also what I know a lot of other people do is then they keep them wet with, with water and that is, is just another cooling protection um, way of doing it. Their new micro mesh material will ensure maximum comfort while perfect fit at the same time. Um, basically protects your skin from the harmful rays of the sun. So just another way of keeping yourself cool and it doesn't overheat you and you can keep it cool with the, the water on there as well. So check that out. Um, they're only twenty nine fifty, and if you use the IM Talk code, you're going to get a discount off that. And uh, all good in the hood. Check it out. If it's good enough for Chris McDonald, it must be good enough for you. It's, it's good, good enough for me. A, there's a video of him doing it. Is there? Big sexy. Yeah. Big sexy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Putting the video on. So, so check that out. And if you want anything else off... Uh, SLS, um, user code I am talk. We have getting a bit of the video there. Where, where, where's he at? Um, some some race. race. Yep. Yeah. I got all the tents up. Yeah. That's oh, all good. Great podcasting. Yeah. Uh, and remember, they have got the I am talk race gear there at SLS. So if you're looking at looking funky this year, then uh, then get yourself some of that. Chris is looking sharp. He's looking yeah. lean. Yeah. Lean and mean. Yeah. Okay. SLS, try guys. Get your chillers. There you go. Chillers. 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 Okay, John, is that it? That's it. Sponsors are? Coffeesofhawaii.com. Yes, um, they're great. SLS Try. Um, get your chillers. Athlinks.com. Just do it. And Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffering is a new thing as well. Yes. Excellent. Hydro X. Hydro X. Okay, John, what's your goss? Well, you're back, in be- you're back tomorrow, are you? I'm back on Thursday. Thursday. So early, get back at nine, which is quite nice. Okay, nice. So I'm going to get home. Take a sleeping pill during the night. I don't think we have sleeping pills. Oh. On the pill, on the on the flight home. Yeah. Maybe I will. To do. Get on do you know one time on a plane, I took a sleeping pill from the person next to me. Yeah. Would you do that? No, probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I was, I was coming home. You know that really? What's what's the best plane in the world right now? That big one with double decker and A three eighty. Yeah, it? I was on that, and it's, mm. it was pretty impressive. Mm. And um. Someone there, and I met this Aussie couple, and I think they're pretty druggies too, because they're, they're telling me some stories. Yeah, and uh, they're, they're a young couple, and I think they like the party life, so I think they're like into the ecstasy and all those kind of weird drugs and stuff. Yeah. And um, but they were really cool. And we talked for like about two hours and stuff, and then um, about yeah, you know, we had someone to go, and the guy goes, "Oh, I've got a sleeping pill. Do you want a sleeping pill?" I said, "Yeah, why not?" Took it. Fell asleep. It worked amasingly. Had the best was one. it really a sleeping pill? <laughs> I was up <like>, partying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> woo woo. <laughs> After the nudie run. Yeah. No, no, yeah, it was a sleeping pill. And I, and I said, so don't yeah. take drugs from people you don't know, Joe, guys. Yeah. Unless you trust them. And yeah. I trusted them. Good. And it wasn't drugs, it was a sleeping pill. Yeah. Which so. is a drug, but. Um, well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Hugs, not drugs. Yeah. So, so. I, yeah, I don't do drugs. I'm bad for you, John. Yeah. So, definitely works a sleeping pill. Definitely if you've got an overnight hey, Do you have some sleeping pills I could borrow then? I probably did actually. Did, would you buy sleeping pills? Ah, Belinda gets them for me. How did she get them? From work. <laughs> She's just got these friends <laughs> <laughs> that I'm not allowed to meet. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Mm. Well, so what have you been up to in this week? Uh, this week I have been, um, I went to some great movies. Oh, did to, you? Yeah, went to some great movies. <laughs> went to some concerts as well. Yeah, concerts. Bought some CDs. Yeah. Put a couple of couple of grand on black at the Christchurch Casino. Did you win? No, I just thought I'd let them have one. Oh, nice! Just took a hit for the team. Took a hit for the team. Yeah. And <laughs> when's the last time you're going to go? When you're going to casino next? Because you like the kids, it. I do. I don't know. 
on my birthday, I get free breakfast on my birthday. Where your birthday's been? Yeah, well, I'll wait till next year then. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> no, I'm going there for the, the, the sponsor of the House of Travel Triathlon Festival, so I'll be going there on November the 24th for prize giving. When you, when you wrap that up, do you hang out afterwards? Friday? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't I'd love to go gambling with you. Well, no, we'll do it. We'll, we'll do it. We'll do an home talk. Why don't we do an home talk casino night? Happy with that. Yeah, yeah. We'll get. We'll just get listeners in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. We'll go out for dinner. Mm-hmm. We'll do, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do a dinner casino night. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good. Okay, we'll do that and sometime in the next few months. Yeah, Christchurch, Christchurch listeners. We'll, we'll coordinate. Who's really good at coordinating? Because would be good. We don't want to hold responsibility tonight. I, I'll I'll coordinate. Um, it would have been, I'm away for, for when Ironman's on this year. We're going to be up in Kaiteri. What do you mean for World Champs? Yeah, but we could, uh, I don't know if they would be able to, we could plug in the laptop and screen it live in the bar. and um, at, long day. Ironman. Yeah, come and go. We, go we, could, we could do a bit of a training session. Were uh, you on Kaiteri? Yeah, no, not, I'm, 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 I was just, uh, if we did it in another year. <laughs> I don't know. It's go, I'm, going, no, I'm going We're going nowhere. Going, going nowhere. <laughs> But we should, okay, so Christchurch listeners, maybe we'll say New Zealand, anyone in the world, what we'll do is we'll try playing it for like two months from now, a dinner out and a night yep. at the Kaza. Sounds good, I'm yep. on it. And then what we could maybe even do is, oh, and this might be a bit of work, but it'd be heaps of fun, is you can donate and we'll do your gambles for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so, and we'll, we'll, if, if you make money, we'll give it to charity. That'd be easy to do on, um, we should do a form using Squarespace and- uh, PayPal. And PayPal, and they just they can we we'll just have a column. What you want us to do? Like five bucks on uh, on black, and we yeah. Just, yeah, or or something on the roulette wheel. What's the one where you throw the dice? Oh, we don't. Have no, crap. no, we but don't what, have craps what's the oh, it's really well. oh, sick boat. They, I don't know if they still have sick boat there or not. It's where they have uh, they have a little thing, and that and three dices pop up, and you have to try to bet uh, on the combinations. So we'll, we'll name the machines, and then what you can do is you can donate your your amount you want to donate, mm-hmm. and then what you want us to do with your gamble, and we'll print off a list, and throughout the night we'll do your gambles, mm. and then all the profit at the end of the night will go to a charity. Okay. Yep. So yeah. like, like, like the idea of that. I like the idea of that. So okay, the Iron Talk Gambling Night, and so we'll have a dinner out. We'll do it at the casino. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll have a dinner yeah. at the Kaza. Yeah. And you know them, so we're basically discount on them. Yeah, sort something out, don't you worry. John John's got a pretty good relationship. Okay, so so we have a group dinner, and that can be anyone that you can fly over from Japan if you want. You can. Yep, and uh, and when you come along, we'll have the dinner, then we'll go in, and we'll do the gambles for everyone else. We'll make a video. We probably can't make a video at the casino. Probably not. No. Yeah. Maybe in the bar we might, I don't know, we can ask. Because last time we went to the casino, we were on 450 bucks. Nice. Yeah. Tell you what I did do when I went to Vegas last time, John. If you're coming from out of town, we can, uh, I can go out for, I'll take you out for a ride on Sunday morning. Oh, we'll have a training ride as well. I'll even mm. go for a ride. Mm. <sighs> maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty fit right now. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, maybe in November. Yeah. Okay. Yep. The, the I Am Talk Gambling Night. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sounds good. It's going to be a night to remember. It is going to be a night to remember. Oh, it's going to be so much right, fun. Bevan, you've got things to do. You've got just about four, four or five shows to process. Oh, it's going to be a long day. I've got four shows to process. I've got two clients. I've got to do a seminar tonight. Mm-hmm. Pins out the door. <laughs> I'm working. But tomorrow morning, actually even tomorrow before I fly, I've got to do modelling. Oh, goodness me. Icebreaker, but icebreakers are easy modelling. Mm. Sometimes, John, I get paid to do stupid things. Yeah. Like, really, they're paying me to go to America. Just jump up and down for an hour. <laughs> like, and then tomorrow, I pay. Oh, I do. I tell you what I do. I walk in a room. There's five people there. They're yeah. pretty cool people. I go and meet them. I say hello. And, yeah. and I've kind of done it a few times. So I know them and they're pretty nice. And all I do is they go, put this on. So I walk out back, put some clothes on, walk back in the room. And I go, oh, yeah, it looks nice. Turn around. Sweet. I get paid quite well. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I do. Sweet. Life's hard, John. It is.
Got to get no? me on that. Got to get my hairy chest. I'll be the hairy chest so, model. Mate, mate, seriously, because they've got that, they've got that land guy. Yeah, <laughs> you go through the episode. Because <laughs> 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 I can think of this iceberg as this kind of hybrid of a human and lamb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we could get I, I have to bleach my chest, so they need, they need white hair. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll, just I'll drop my whole body in a thing of bleach. <laughs> And all, <laughs> I would pay to see that. Oh, the fun of it! All right, guys. Next week we're back in the studios. Um, thanks for <laughs> thanks for persevering with this month. And uh, it, oh, it's probably too late to tell you to get my Facebook photos from my holiday. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you guys next week. I'm Russ. I'm Minot. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.